In this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Pratik Naik. We're going to talk about retouching and artificial intelligence. This is Twitter. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, if, if you can't guess, I mean, you heard it in the teaser there, but we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and AI. But this, this discussion, I think, is going to be a treat for you because I get to speak with someone who kind of has a foot in both worlds. Like Pratik Naik is a, he's a, I call him kind of the retoucher to the stars, right? He is a ace retoucher, he's an educator. He does all the things, right? That, that the photographers that are kind of on the naysayer side of artificial intelligence, they're doing this stuff. Pratik is, is embracing artificial intelligence, incorporating it into his work and educating people on the art and science and techniques behind all of this stuff. So on the bleeding edge of technology, Pratik, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? Amazing, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is a discussion that I've been looking forward to, and I always love talking about it. Yeah, it's great, right? I mean, it's so there's so much to talk about here. And like I said, you're I wanted to have this conversation because you you know, very often I have, you know, offline mainly conversations with people that are not really qualified, you know, or have skin in the game when it comes to artificial intelligence. There's a lot of, you know, kind of what if that and naysaying and irrational exuberance on the other side, but you're doing it right. You are, you are a pro. You teach people how to make images fantastic and beautiful as evidenced by your website here, you know, solsticeretouch.com. And I mean, you know your stuff, right? So for someone like you to come in and say, okay, let's embrace this artificial intelligence stuff and let's learn about it and let's try to push the ball forward and then start educating on it. It's kind of a, a bellwether for what everyone else should do. Let's start, let's start there. When you, when you look at this space, or actually let's rewind back a little bit for the folks that may not have been introduced to Pratik, you know, let's, let's give us a little, give us a little elevator pitch on who you are and the kind of things that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been actually fascinated by technology for a long time. Um, back when I started doing drawing and painting as a kid, I kind of knew that those two worlds were going to come together. So when I was in high school, um, over 20 years ago, I, you know, was interested in seeing what I could do back then when computers first started coming to the classrooms. And so what I used to do was take a lot of like paintings and drawings and stuff and play around with it and do some photo manipulation. But I landed on photography for some reason. There was just something, you know, interesting about how taking even art and going the digital world with, with taking photos was fascinating. So I married uh, photography and retouching uh, Photoshop together and I, I fell into the retouching world. And I love the ability to kind of control pixels, use technology to push art in different directions. And, you know, for a long time, my career was editing photos for photographers over 10 years doing that mm -hmm. full time. I still love it. I still do it today. It's a form of therapy for me. So mm -hmm. even when I don't even have to retouch, I will still do it because in my head that that you know like when you go on TikTok and see those videos of people making like clay pots it's so soothing and relaxing so yeah. retouching for me is that kind of version in the digital world and for those of you who understand you know you really love this episode because we're talking about things that really drive our passion but retouching is where 
most of my career has been. You know, it's everything that I knew, but it's because I married the love of my technology and art together was I, you know, able to do to do that as uh, most of my most of my work. Yeah, but on top of that, you you have the ability. I think it's a it's almost a superpower, especially these days, to not be scared away from new technologies. Whether it's a new version of Photoshop that now has these whiz bang mm. features that you have to figure out how to incorporate <laughs> that into your work, or this AI stuff, right, and how that will influence what you're doing. You know, just to kind of segue into into the artificial intelligence. From a looking at it through a retouching lens, I was speaking with a mm -hmm. with a boudoir photographer in one of the you know a couple of weeks ago on on the on the show. Michael set yeah Michael Sasser yeah he's down in Los oh, Angeles yeah you know Sasser yeah and we were we did a whole interview yes. we were talking about AI and in my brain I was thinking yeah. AI clearly a windfall for people doing boudoir because you can change elements, especially now with generative AI, right? You can change elements in the yeah. room, change what the model is wearing, you know, the, whatever. You have, you know, a lot of control, not complete control, but you have a lot of control versus before, right? And mm -hmm. I was surprised to hear him say that, uh, Though he may use AI and may leverage it for some of those kinds of things, like changing the room or taking something off the wall or changing some art on the wall or something, um, he's not going to use it to Im to change the model themselves. Because in his words, yeah. he was saying it's all about empowerment of the of you know for that genre, it's all about empowerment of the model or the the client, and less about mm -hmm. trying to create an unrealistic. Uh, version of them different in what you're doing though right you're you're able to leverage it and or leverage it meaning AI and push what you're doing forward or or are you how are you leveraging this stuff I really like that question because we have to also backtrack and think about what is AI affecting what it isn't and what I've come to realize is in Michael's case for example because a lot of his photographs are based in reality and experiences um, the photograph itself, and it's something that I we've had a conversation about with him too, is that photographs are you know often the receipt of an experience. So whether you're a wedding photographer, whether um, you do landscapes, whether you do um, boudoir, that experience you have, you know, going in as a client in in Michael's case in a boudoir session and coming out, the feelings that you get can't happen just by typing that into a screen. So you know to use AI to enhance is I think the best way to put it. Cause even in my world, what we are doing, for example, like let's say images, and since we're on the topic of photography, I'm taking images and trying to transform them in one way or another. Uh, one option, for example, like my wife, Bella Kotek, she's a fine art photographer. She does a lot of fantasy and whimsical um, themes. And often, you know, she's a very special person. She sees the world in a very beautiful way. Seeing her take a photograph and use tools like Photoshop to get to where she wants to go has been amazing. But the biggest hurdle I think for her and many creatives right now is that you have to have a specific skill set in terms of learning the tools in order to execute your vision. However, what happens in that case is that when you are trying to learn the tools, you are disadvantaged by the amount that you can learn because what happens is your vision becomes bottlenecked if you don't know how to use the tools, and a lot of people are artistic minded, but not technically minded. So sometimes they don't even know what they're missing because they didn't A, get the opportunity to even learn 
what they're missing. So what happens in the case of AI is now you can easily flow from vision to reality without necessarily knowing how to master a specific tool. I think that's where a lot of the argument comes from is, is that fair? And you know, it's, it's almost like a badge of honor where I learned this program and the depths of what it can do. Therefore, I should be able to be the person that shows you the vision where a lot of people might not be able to comprehend um, you know, entire programs to learn before they're able to show what they're able to do. And a lot of people, because of that, don't get to show what's in their mind. And I can tell you from a personal perspective, the art, the um, gift of being able to express myself artistically is a gift because if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be. I, like I said before, I use retouching and creativity as a, sor a source of therapy and many creatives do. If you've picked up a camera and you've been in love with that feeling and love with the results, you know what that feels like. So for AI, it is that for a lot of people where before they didn't get a chance to express themselves but now with a tool that allows you to easily and quickly express yourself and show what's in your mind is, is very positive from my understanding, at least on a, a personal level. Yeah, that you, you hit it. I think you hit the nail right on the head and articulated much better than I could. <laughs> Just the idea, <laughs> the idea that, um, the, the these or technology in general, right? Not just AI, but technology in general, when a new technology comes along, it, the people that had to sort of, you know, walk a mile, you know, just to do this thing or spend a lifetime of effort learning how to do this technique, like the Bezier tool or something, mm -hmm. right? You know? Yeah, oh my gosh, the pen tool. Oh. <laughs> the pen tool, yeah, yeah, like people that, that okay, I, I, I spent all this time learning this and, you know, I went to school for photography, I learned about composition, exposure, lighting, and then I saved up and I bought this camera, yeah. then the lenses and the desk and the Photoshop and the calibrated displays and yeah. on and on and on and on. And then you're telling me now some person that doesn't have the appreciation <laughs> of photography that I do can go and sit at a computer or on their phone and type a few words yeah. and generate something that is comparable to what I'm doing. And yeah. this is at the beginning of the technology. We're not even, I mean, fast forward oh, five, 10 totally. years into it, right? So let's, let's chat, I wanna, yeah, I wanna, I wanna chat about that a little bit. Like how, is that just a, is that just a, a matter of attrition? You know, the, the older photographers or the more experienced photographers will slowly fade out, like people that process black and white and color, you know, they're kind of, it's kind of become the niche to be replaced by digital photography and all the things that that brings. Are we seeing another kind of mm -hmm. sea change like that where the people that don't embrace AI will suddenly become, you know, not as sought after, let's say, as the people that do embrace it and incorporate it into their work? Where, where do you fall on that? One thing that, and just as a backstory, a lot of my interests in, um, you know, showing and showcasing what AI can do and the news that's out there is for a couple of reasons. And I'll be honest, it's mostly fear driven because mm -hmm. I actually totally relate to understanding what it feels like to be like, hey, you know, I spent all this time, money, energy, and suddenly someone can um, produce something similar to what I can, or maybe even better. And I understand that feeling because it is fear driven. It's also driven based on job security, where it's like, okay, why am I feeling that way towards somebody, like I said, that has now access to express themselves better? Isn't that something I should be happy about where someone else is happy about something? And if it's not, why is that? And the reason for me, 
what I get why people are feeling that way, again, was job security, primarily fear. And what I realized is one thing, um, going down to the future, you're probably not going to be replaced by the AI itself, but it'll be probably somebody that uses AI well enough to know the tools that can be an operator for those tools. And there's a famous saying that is basically just, you're not going to be replaced with AI, but somebody who uses AI. And that's yeah. what it boils down to. And whether it's now, whether it's 10 years, the, the goal is that I imagine what they would like ultimately is for every job out there to be something that can be done by AI or something using AI or robotics or what have you. But the dilemma here is that what are we going to do with jobs? Because mm -hmm. I know that you know in a long enough timeline, it's going to impact a significant portion of people's work. Maybe even um, I've heard statements about how physical work like carpentry or plumbing and things like that might not be replaced. But just you know, a couple of days ago, I've been seeing amazing videos about how robotics have come up to start doing more generic chores, like even household tasks, everything, warehouses. So there's no real telling. Like I think Frederick, you and I were having a conversation earlier about how in a couple of years, if somebody says they knew exactly what's going to happen, they're full of BS. And that's mm -hmm. true because we really don't know what we don't know. But the trajectory of how it's going in a very um, non-linear fashion, it's exponentially growing. It feels like every single year. And we don't know where it's going, but we can only assume based off of how fast it's growing, it's, it's plausible that it could come for all of us. So we have to start asking the question of, if we're fearful about losing our job, it's not, it's not the talent that we are concerned about, it's more about our livelihoods. And if our livelihoods are taken care of, and they say, you, you don't have to work anymore, you know, we have a universal basic income, then by all means, it's wonderful to have the gift of creativity for everyone. The question for me is gonna be, are we going to adapt fast enough as a, as a society to you know, give people their basic needs being met so that we don't have to be fearful about the progress that humanity will benefit from? Because there will be benefits, whether it comes to health, whether it comes to um, longevity, cancer, aging. I've even seen in the news about how supposedly they've figured out that you know, the cell has like almost like a backup copy where it can be re rebooted, almost like if it's, if it's a software. So because of AI, we don't we want to reap the benefits, but we also want to ensure that society is set up enough that we can be taken care of when the exponential change does happen. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's interesting because, and that's really interesting about a cell being rebooted. I need to find, <laughs> but yeah, and I I look at this stuff is from the like what are you solving for like from the standpoint of what are you solving for as a as an artist you know on the one hand it could be you just like the process right you just like the feel of picking up that 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 camera and the beauty of the optics and the lens that goes on that camera and the click when you put it on there and you're going out and you find the shot and you set all of that right all the romantic side of photography that's what you get into and maybe the the side effect of all that is an image that you, that you then take into the computer and do some post-processing on. But maybe you find joy in the actual capturing piece, which is, which is great, mm -hmm. or the journey, right? The destination is that final image. So if you remove the journey from the equation or shorten the journey to you know, something very small and you have the destination, you can get to it really quickly, 
there's a whole another set of people that are going to enjoy that piece of it and push that forward. You know, the whole science of prompt design and all that. So, oh, yeah. yeah. But then I think about I think about like what happens when you put the chocolate in the peanut butter. Right. So now what happens <laughs> when you have somebody that enjoys the journey is a competent or amazing photographer like yourself. And then they add in the superpower of having AI mm -hmm. and the ability to do all this other stuff and take their image even further is that is that the photographer of the future and, and at that point can we even call ourselves or call themselves photographers like aren't you like i used to call people multimediographers right because you're creating in many mediums right you're writing you're doing yeah. video now you're doing ai generation when they be in 360 environments and ai or uh or augmented reality things to go in the scene you know there's all these things beyond just a two-dimensional beautiful technically perfect and composed excellently photograph right it's a bunch of other yes. tools that we can use to tell stories i don't know i mean is is the photographer going the way of like the i don't know the blacksmith i don't know what, what do you think oh man uh, that sounds pretty badass though like i have never been a blacksmith in my life and it yeah yeah and you know yeah. that's true like even if photography does change, it's probably gonna change. I mean, better face, better realize it now than you know, pretend that it's not gonna happen and then worry about it later. Like, yeah, sure, it'll change and it probably will. But the reality is that also, because we have this experience as photographers and, and creatives, um, we can leverage that and use that with these new tools. Because you have to remember, like I'll give you an example, right? I started becoming a lot more active on Twitter uh, lately and I've been posting a lot of things that I've created in Midjourney on Twitter, and I shared my prompts with what I created. And I realized something. When I leaned into my background as somebody who's been, you know, shooting for 20 years, into my kind of, you know, AI Midjourney profile, what what happened was that a lot of people looked to me as inspiration for the type of prompts that they should do because they're like, oh, if this guy is a true artist and has an artistic background, maybe he knows how to leverage the tools better to get better results. Because I've also found that just because AI is powerful doesn't mean the user knows how to leverage it. I've seen the same people who have criticized Midjourney and how you know easy it is. Once they start using it, they start asking, wait a minute, this wasn't actually that easy. How do you get the results that you're getting? So. Mm -hmm our background as a creative is going to serve as almost like a currency or leverage because when everything can be done without a bottleneck, the creative process, what becomes the commodity? And that is going to be vision. That's going to be your uniqueness and ability to see the world in ways that most people can't. And that's going to rise to the top. Even when movie ideas become something of a, a platform like Netflix, where you can upload a, a user-generated full-length movie just based on your idea. The ideas become the thing that are the most powerful. So our exercise and with our camera allows us to really refine and hone our vision to get stronger and stronger. Because as you know, you know, you look back a few years at your work and you realize how much you've grown just because you exercise that muscle. And because yeah. we've exercised that muscle for so long, everything going forward is going to be something that really most people are not going to be able to do because they've never gone through the same amount of great experience that you had with the camera and those experiences to refine that vision. So that is, I think, where the future is headed. Like, I think AI is going to play a huge role in changing the world of photography. But whether you want to call it photography 
or you know mixed media art or anything like that we have to just be ready for that um shift in conversation and i also want to ask you the same question like yeah. do you think that's an overall bad thing do you think photographers are going to fade away like is it going to be more valuable that we are there's going to be less of us how does that work yeah, I really, yeah, the, like we said before, anybody that says they have all the answers, don't believe them, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can honestly say I don't know, but I, from my perspective, I feel like it's, it's, it, it's not as harsh as evolve or die, right? It is more of, you know, depending on what, depending on how much of your, your annual revenue you're deriving from your photography, which frankly is not a whole lot of people, right, that are deriving their 100% of their revenue or keeping the lights on and their mortgage paid from photography, you'd be surprised how small that number is and getting smaller. Um, so I'm not so much worried about those folks. I'm, I'm more, I think I'm more concerned with the people that are now, that are kind of doing the day-to-day -day that are in photography they love it they have that spark that inner glow that we, that you know we have about photography and all the nerdy stuff that goes along with it um, I'm concerned with those people pushing the idea of AI down the road with and or grouping it with things like uh, crypto and nft which you know they have their own sort of negative, you know, we positive and negatives of both, but NFT in particular got a, a bad rap in the early, you know, last year and the year before because of reasons. And now here we come in 2023 with another acronym that I have to put my faith in that's going to change the world, right? Now it's AI. What's next year? ZZ or BD or whatever, right? There's always something. But I worry that, that AI is being short-circuited by all those other acronyms that came before it. I mean, even yeah, last year was NFT, then before that was crypto, and before that was meta with the metaverse and Mark Zuckerberg changing the name of the company. That's going to be the future. Before that was 360. Everybody had a 360 camera. It just, you know, it goes on in all these different technologies, and now we are here with AI. So I wonder, and my worry is people will lump AI, and it's various permutations into the same bucket as those other technologies, some of which have been popular, some not. When the reality is that AI is a kind of a sea change, it's almost like a beyond smartphone level sea change for a ton of industries out there. So that's that's where, where my worry comes from. And then to, to kind of piggyback on what you said before about you know photographers having like people that have been shooting for a while, they, they have this knowledge of what art is and how to create art and all the rules, you know, or suggestions uh, that go along with creating art. I think that's, you cannot put a price tag on that because mm -hmm. it's almost, the analogy I use with people, it's kind of like teaching, teaching, a, teaching someone to snowboard, right? If I come to snowboarding and I've never had my feet on a board or anything, it's going to be much harder to teach me. And it's going to be a longer path for me to get and understand how to do it than if yeah. I've been skateboarding my entire life. Right. So if I've been skateboarding and then you put me on that thing, it's it's easier to connect those dots and like, oh, OK, I get it. This is like that, but different. OK. But if I just come into it, I'm going to break a leg or something. So, yeah, yeah. So lots of change, man. I, I'm I'm excited on this whole space. You know, one of the things I want to throw at you is two things. So I want to dive in and get some secret prompt science science magic from Pratik. But then also, 
you know, you say you're you're still doing retouching and, you know, that's sort of your release. Are you at all incorporating any of this AI stuff into what you're doing on the retouching side? I know, you know, generative AI, of course, with Photoshop, the generative fill lets us do a lot of things. I'm curious what professionals like you, how you're leveraging that yeah. tech or if you are at all. Yeah, and generative AI is a good starting point for that because yeah. with generative AI, you can do a lot of compositing immediately and you don't have to really wait to find reference material to piece it together. But uh, with that, it's still in beta phase, so we're not actually using it at all for like our client work. Um, oh, yeah, especially, that's right. yeah. you know, yeah. But I would say, I will say that when it does come out, it is going to be something that I do use, utilize for composites because. For me personally, my favorite part of retouching is actually like cleanup and skin work. That mm -hmm. is probably even around the corner. And I realized that even if it is around the corner, I'll augment the results that I get if un unless it's perfect. If it's perfect, yeah. I will definitely use it and you know pass a lot of the cost savings on to my clients, for example, have quicker turnarounds and all of that. But I'm still gonna be doing it, you know, as a manual process just for fun because I like to do it. Um, but yeah, we are actually implementing a lot of it. Another way that people implement um, AI now into photography is things like mid-journey. So for example, mm. like I'm working with my uh, good friend Felix on something where we generated um, mood boards uh, you know, using kind of AI and using mid-journey to come up with different visions for how a shoot would go before a shoot happens. And that kind of um, use was very important because then he's able to pass on to his clients and say, listen, this is the kind of vibe I'm going for. Um, what do you think about it? And he didn't even have to actually go shoot any photos or actually pull any references from any other photographer. So um, that was another cool part. The, but the most impressive thing I think with AI in, in photography is when you use Midjourney to um, develop backdrops and really complete like a vision. So Bella, for example, like we were talking about earlier, um, sometimes what she does is she'll shoot something in studio and then there'll be elements that she wants to add from different locations or different times of day that might not be possible even when you shoot it outside. So she'll generate those elements by feeding a prompt into mid-journey and, and trying to match the lighting as close as possible and then compositing that. Or another way that she'll do it is she'll take the existing image, put it into mid-journey and, and find variations of that photograph and then feed that back into Photoshop. So she could be like, hey, kind of like color grading where all, originally the colors are different. And once you color grade it, it shifts the focus into how the mood would be. Similarly, you can do that with Midjourney by feeding your images in there, shifting the image, not by color, but by variation of how the final image should look like. And then she might feed that back in, change some elements, make it very you know fantasy-based, and then use that as a final piece. And on her uh, like Instagram at Bella Kotak, she actually has that example in some of her work. So you'll get to see, you know, shifted backgrounds like models in the galaxy and things like that. That would be very difficult to do if you try to shoot that in real life. Well, impossible. But it's made asset generation faster and compositing a lot more interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because that I was talking to a friend of mine just yesterday, uh, Tim Engel, actually. He's um, a photographer up in Sacramento, California, uh, runs a company called Engel Photo. And he is Nikon photographer that's embracing AI, you know, for a lot of the clients that he works with. And one of the ways that he's he's embracing it, that he showed me was he one of his clients is a, a knife pocket knife manufacturer. So what he did is very similar to what you're describing um, what Bella does or what Bella was working on. 
And that was the idea of generating backgrounds to the client's specifications for that for the knife. He was doing a shot with the knife kind of stuck in the middle of the ground, low angle shot, you know, with it kind of stuck, you know, uh, on a path in the middle of the forest or something, right? And kind of balancing by itself, sitting there, casting shadows, well lit, low sun, you know, that kind of thing. So what he did was he just gets in mid journey and generates a bunch of backgrounds to those specifications with a knife in the scene, you know, that he's not going to use, but it's it, it kind of a placeholder knife in there. And then he generative fills the knife, knife out of there and brings in the real knife and, you know, that he has shot to the to match the lighting of the, the AI scene. And everybody's happy at the end of the day. Sure. Up res, you know, using whatever software before you do all that. But I mean, that itself seemed like, OK, that's a photographer that is now leveraging the power of this technology to push his work forward and to better serve his clients versus like some of some people that like we were talking about before we started recording some people were just rail or or rage against the machine right and no we're <laughs> by no means are we gonna say anything nice about ai because it's coming for our jobs like for example did you see that did you see that ad campaign that nikon put out recently yes i was gonna talk about that with you yeah oh i want to talk about that yeah because i have thoughts on that <laughs> let me tell let me hear and i'm a nikon shooter by the way <laughs> so so tell me what you think just for the folks that that may not have seen it i'll embed that video in the in the blog post for this episode and link to it from youtube as well uh, yes. but it it was essentially uh, an ad campaign from nikon that I mean, it said a lot of things, but it uh, at the end of it, the message they were trying to to hammer home, I think, that they put on the screen was, "Don't give up on reality yet," right? So they want to encourage photographers to go out and and shoot, and they were drawing comparisons to, yeah, here's here's a a fantastic prompt, right? And then this is a real shot that AI would have generated, but this person went to wherever and did the photo, right? <laughs> So, what do nah. you think about that? I'll tell you. I'll share my thoughts. I don't want to lead the lead the witness, but yeah. I mean, tell me, tell me what you thought about that campaign. <laughs> All right, let's break the internet, shall we? No, yeah, kidding. let's break it. Uh, let's the, break it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's break reality while we're at it. So, no, <laughs> I have to say, I thought it was. I get why they did it. It was super clever. It caught everyone's attention, obviously, because we even we're talking about it right now. Yeah, and uh, I was like, "What?" Well, I was like, "What are they trying to say?" And I was like, "Oh, they're coming after our prompt prompt situation here, yeah. and generating fake images and whatever." And it's brilliant because you know it caught on 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 just people's nature of wanting to argue about this stuff. And great, great ad. I'm sure it did. You know, the the guy got a raise and everything. But um, a funny couple of things that I found was that my friend Auntie, um, who's a phenomenal AI artist and educator as well. He posted in our group, uh, we have a group called The Futurists on Facebook, which is an AI group, and we stay in touch with each other and learn about everything that's going down the horizon. But in the group, he posted this image of the campaign itself, and he uh, circled a few things on the image. It was the one with the tree, the main one. Mm -hmm. And on the image, there are a lot of areas that were completely cloned to duplicate itself. So you'd see like remnants of of patches of land being replicated like 10 times across the photo. And and so it got me thinking like, are they trying to say that this is an AI image? Are they trying to say that we should still remember the real world? Like I wasn't 100% sure. 
So that was funny. And the other one was that most of the images from that campaign, someone else pointed out, was from Unsplash. It wasn't even like um, a recent camera, Nikon camera footage. It was like, you know, much older footage too. So it was the whole thing was very interesting. Like once you started looking at it. Um, yeah. Good idea from them. I don't think I don't think anyone's going to give up on photography. Like people who love photography are still going to do it. You know, whether or not camera companies are going to have you know, great sales, who knows, but it is yeah. very interesting. This is, the, I'm, I'm playing the commercial with the sound off while you're talking. Um, but yeah, this this is it, natural intelligence. That's natural what they were talking about. Natural, natural intelligence. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. They're coming after your prompts. Imagine, it even did the whole imagine you thing, the mid-journey. They should just sell a camera that only shoots manual then. I guess they would really exactly. show you yeah. how good natural intelligence is. <laughs> like, like what do you need? What do you need AI for? You know, focusing? Ah, just do it yourself. Um, yeah. Oh, no. yes. It was that frame. Can you go back really quick to that video? It was that last frame with the tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's this see. one. Let's see. This one. That one. Yeah, that one. Stop there. Yeah, and then you see the uh, on the edges there on the left and right side. You see how the whole thing is replicated. It was like content overfill or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Look at that step. Look at that repeating pattern. Hey, Nikon, that doesn't occur in nature. Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> they they were like, oh no, we got the image, but it isn't matched the aspect ratio. And they sent it to like a retoucher or something probably, and or it's from the original photographer that just kind of expanded the frame. And Nikon didn't pick up on that. So I'm like, what does that tell you? Did does that tell oh. you that they don't know if what is the natural and what is artificial? <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't know. I think the whole thing is. I think that ad campaign, and again. I've given Nikon many, many thousands of dollars, right? So yeah. I am a, I am a Nikon shooter. I love the brand. I love what they're doing. But this campaign, uh, it got me on on two main notes that it hit on. Now three with that with that bad content aware scale that they put in there. Um, but the the first one is at the end of the piece. Um, I, I won't play it through and subject you again subject you to it again but at the end of the piece they said uh on the screen they flashed up there this campaign inspired hundreds of photographers to go out and shoot in the real world which i was like that's great but do you really want to promote that only hundreds of photographers were inspired when oh. hundreds of millions of people are playing around with AI and trying new things and experimenting and, you know, blending reality with artificial, you know, artificially created images. And then a hundred people had the money to go out and do. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I got. I think they, they sort of missed the mark on. I don't think as a marketer, I don't think I would have put numbers up there. I would have said something that's not a number. You know, legions of people were inspired to go out and shoot something like that. And then the other, the other thing was the, um, you know, why, why, like I was saying before, why rage against the machine? Why not, why not embrace it and go for, from the standpoint of, Hey, we're Nikon. We create w the world's best cameras, mm -hmm. and our photographers are the world's best photographers. And this is how they are leveraging AI to do things that they couldn't do before, right? So something like that 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 doesn't put you in the position of being an a, an antagonist against the technology or or creating an us versus them mentality, you know, create something that 
it's it, it's not going away. You're not putting this toothpaste back in the tube, Nikon. Let's just embrace and you extend. <laughs> Another really good advertising idea would be like you know be inspired to take the images that generate that that inspired a, a shift in culture because AI yeah. effectively what people are trying to do with AI is recreate photographs. So imagine if they were like you know just take learn the art that inspired the shift in what we're going through. I mean like it's unless you're a great photographer there's no ai that's going to be able to reference beautiful work and it right. comes it starts with photography yeah no for sure you know i want to i want to switch gears a little bit and get more practical now that i have you on the hot seat you know i feel like i feel like i have i have a a, a human chat gpt in front of me that i can ask any question to <laughs> About AI. So, GPT is a middle initial stands for. It's my name. There you go. There you go. So, in prompt science, we talked about that a little bit before, which I'm hearing more and more this phrase about prompt science, prompt engineering, you know, all these things. And like you were saying, and I'm in the crowd of people that don't, that hasn't really you know, dived into the whole, okay, let me tweak it like this. Let me tell the AI to, yeah. I'm using this lens and this focal length and mist and, you know, or this particular camera and all that. Um, and I haven't done that because I don't know how to, you know, and I don't know where to learn how to do that stuff yeah. other than just sort of blind manning, blind man my way through, you know, the different areas of, and communities of people that are doing stuff and then trying what they're doing, following you and trying your prompts and then adjusting them and all that. Well, how would you suggest someone like me, which is, I would argue, like a lot of photographers that are just sort of playing around with this, get in there and start creating photorealistic images like what where's it where's a place to learn how to do that or is it just trial and error like what what do you think sure well i have to say the the reality is it's almost like communicating with somebody that uh you're in a relationship with and i say that because i'm gonna use a funny example so you know like often when you're having discussion about where to go eat dinner and you're like, oh, what do you want to eat? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what to eat. And you're like, okay, so then I can pick anything. They're like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and pick Mexican food. And they're like, no, I don't want to go eat Mexican. I don't like Mexican. Like, okay, fine. How about Italian? I'm like, no, I don't want to eat Italian. They're like, what do you want to eat? And that's kind of how it is communicating with Midge Journey, <laughs> where you have to start by just saying something. For example, let's just pretend we're going to create um, a, a lifestyle photograph of somebody on the street in, in New York. So you're going to start exactly like that. You're going to think about it as if you're communicating with somebody who's never, you know, seen that before, but has a general idea of what it looks like. So you want to start by saying, okay, there's a guy, a photograph of a guy who's walking down the street on a cobblestone road where the sun sets in the background and he's in Brooklyn with the Brooklyn Bridge in the background. And you want to just start using those as references. When you, you get results from that, you're going to look at it and go, well, you know, I don't like this and I don't like this, but I like this. So you're going to start adjusting what you're saying and, and building off of that. So you start with the foundation and you build accordingly. Now, where to go, where to go for references is actually on midjourney.com. Once you make your account and you have a subscription, there's a newsfeed on the website where it shows you the best images created on Midjourney, the most popular ones. And when you click on them, you actually get their prompts as well. You can see exactly how they're structured it. So what I want you to do for everyone is go there, take a look at the images generated there, then look at the prompt and be like, huh, interesting. 
would I have worded it that way? And why or why not? And you can compare how you would have said it versus what they actually said. And you can start seeing a lot of commonalities between how people are wording things and the length of words they use. Sometimes people go crazy, like if they're extra experimental, they'll put every single like EXIF data and you know the every single camera model in there, hoping that the more cameras you put, the better the results are. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But the thing that I have found works w- really well is if you don't use the word uh, photorealism, because photorealistic is actually like a painterly term. It's meant to it's meant to uh, be a style where a painting looks as close to a photo as possible. So it's still going to look uh, similar to a painting. You just want to start by describing, you know, what this scene is. Use then a period and then say adjectives like hyperrealistic, you know, high definition. Experiment with those terms. Again, see what other terms people are using for realism and then kind of play around with that. So again, it's just like communicating, but Midjourney is a fantastic place to get references and see the words that you use. The other reason I like this a lot is because now everywhere you go in the world and you look at something, you start thinking of it as if you're a poet. You start looking at the world and going, how would I describe this scene if I don't have my camera? Because my camera has been the way that I've described something. And I think because I've been taking photographs for so long, it's become a lot harder to describe and communicate with my words what I'm actually seeing. So it allowed me to not only just you know take the picture, but after taking the picture, I looked at the scene and I'm like, how would I recreate this scene and describe it to an alien You know that just understands language but doesn't mm-hmm. have the photograph? Like, how would I describe it? And then I would start by writing it down. In my phone, I have a mid-journey uh, prompt uh, note and there it talks about like what ideas I want to explore, like um, you know what combination of words that I would never be able to photograph in, in reality, like galactic crystals. I don't know, you know, something right, random right. that would be fascinating together. And because of that, you're able to learn communication. You're able to start exercising your mind in a way that we've never really been able to. And you start noticing that you start feeling different too, because when you enjoy something different but you know it it operates in the same kind of frequency with your mind um it starts impacting and strengthening even the photography side of your world so i still encourage everyone that even if they don't like ai use it as a way to expand the way you describe things because that's going to make your photography better as well i love that man yeah i was it reminds me of when i was first uh, uh, learning photography. I, did, I was in the military and, you know, I was going through training after basic training, of course, going through training on how to shoot, how to be a photographer is basically the basics, right? You know, composition, exposure, the different qualities of light, specular, diffuse, blah, 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 you know, all these things. And I was fascinated by just like, I, I literally felt like I fell in love with light. Like, okay, I had no idea that it did this. I had no idea that we still don't know why this and that, you know. So it was very, it was very interesting to me on a bunch of levels. Creativity was one of them. But I remember to, to kind of bring home what you were saying, I remember when I was learning about light and I was in, in Tokyo at the time. I remember wandering around Tokyo by myself, just looking at different qualities of light, like, and why? Like, oh, it's an overcast day and the shadow underneath that car is soft and diffuse. Why? You know, or it's a, it's a sunny day and the shadow is crisp and the highlight on the window is harsh. And, but why? You know, so all that. And it, it kind of brings you back to what you're saying of 
now I feel like I want to wander around and start thinking of words <laughs> in my head to describe <laughs> scenes. So that's a good segue into this next question, like barriers to entry to this this new world that we both kind of feel like is going to shift things, right? So does does this world, this AI, generative AI image from your imagination space, is it dependent on the mastery of language? So if you haven't mastered language or if you are, you've got bad grammar, or you speak in slang or whatever, are you basically, you know, shut out of this space, you know, or, or will these AIs are, are, are the people that are creating these AIs, will they go down the route of, okay, let's make it understand all these different kind of lexicons that are floating around out there? Or is it myopic, like correct English only? Mm -hmm. And these are the only words that we're going to understand. What, what do you think? That's a great question. And yeah. somebody, I forgot who, but brought that up where um, only at the moment, because with ChatGPT and everything, if you don't really speak English, I'm not really sure if it um, has adapted to another language, but if you don't speak yeah. the language that it has as a native, you actually don't get access to it. Right. And so in a sense, you're, you're right. We are gonna be at a position where it's a competitive advantage to speak the language of the AI and not only the language physically of the AI, but like I said before, learning how to communicate, communicate with it, even if you understand the language is a separate language. Yeah. Because it, even though it resembles English words, it's the order of the English words that be, make it a new language. And yeah. so, yes, we are going to be at a disadvantage if we are not able to communicate with it properly. But here's the even crazier part is I've heard a lot of people also say that it's not that the person who operates AI is going to replace someone who doesn't use AI, but an AI will be trained to operate other AIs so that it'll be something that even humans don't even kind of even have to be, That's uh, right. you know, part of the chain. So yeah, you're right. We are going to be at a disadvantage if we don't understand the language or languages, but, uh, and a long enough, you know, point that won't be an issue, but it's kind of like if a country def uh, finds a performance enhancing drug first and gives it to all their citizens, you know, they have a multi-year leverage, even though it's been only like a few months. So, that's why I encourage people use it now, even if you don't need it now, you at least understand and you've adapted to it because by the time that you feel like you wanna then use it for something um, topical, it might be too late to implement it to the same speed and you know understanding as if you would have just started now with the basics of like Midjourney or ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, get in now and play with it. Um, as we as we come to the end of this, this these hours go so fast, especially when you're talking about oh, stuff like this. Um, you know, the we talked about Mid Journey, which is which was kind of like in many ways the big bang of kind of getting your brain around and jaw dropping of what this stuff is capable of, like much like ChatGPT. I remember when I first discovered ChatGPT, I was up till like four in the morning, still going, you're <laughs> kidding me out loud. You are kidding me as I put, <laughs> write me a short well, story. <laughs> yes, I remember I said, when I, when I first kind of grokked and understood what it, you know, how, how to ask questions to it, um, I think one of the first things I wrote was, and this was based on a, a story that I'd read, because I read a story, an article about 
uh, these AI, these large language models and what they could do. And then like ChatGPT was right there, I had access to it. So one of the things that that article had written was uh, the author had put in a fragment of a sentence and told ChatGPT to write a short story based on that sentence fragment. And I was just blown away. Like what I think I'm paraphrasing this, but I think the sentence in the art, the article was uh, something like, but, and it was like a fragment, right? It was, but they kept the baby shoes anyway, period. That was it. So they fed that into ChatGPT and it wrote this whole heartfelt story about a couple losing their baby and, you know, all the things that they went to went through and the emotions. And it had that phrase in there at the end. But despite all that, they still kept the baby shoes. Right. And it was and I was like moved by that. I'm like, this was written by something that is not human. And it yeah. it emotionally moved me. So I went from that to like write my bio and do this <laughs> and all the things. And you know, one of the interest one of the interesting things it's so funny you bring that up. Uh, I think in that same week I was in sort of in the mid journey world as well. Uh, but I put in to Chad GPT. I said, write a, a you know three paragraph bio for Frederick Van Johnson based on his LinkedIn profile. That's all I gave it. And I was like, no oh, way. It's going to know who I am. It's not going to know me. And it's got to, you know, oh, and it's not connected to the web, you know, because this was three, five <laughs> or three. So how is it going to? And it it wrote my bio almost perfectly. Better than I could. In fact, I'm using I, it. I used it for a conference I just spoke at. <laughs> <laughs> so it just wrote, and I was like, holy crap, it knows who I am and all this. So then I moved over to Mid Journey and I was like, okay. I wonder if this thing knows who I am, right? So I go in and I type, I type, uh, create a photograph of Frederick Van Johnson as a nine-year-old boy. Boom, right? Or I didn't even say boy, I said as a nine-year-old. Go, right? And it didn't do me, but it created a photo of a nine-year-old, a black nine-year-old boy on a tricycle. So it it, it kind of knew who I am. Yeah, because I could have gone either way, like Van John. He could have been like a, uh, you know, European descent guy. Like, I don't yeah, know, well, there was a whole, there was a star back in the day called Van Johnson, wow. you know, so I was like, but all that, so that was the, that was the, my big bang moment of, okay, I can see where this could go. You could actually create a legit story and illustrate it <laughs> using, <laughs> using these tools. Um, I don't know. What was, what was yours? What was your first, what was your aha moment back in the day? Probably way before mine, but what, what was yours? It was um, for sure mid-journey first because I think the version that we all got more, more access to is mid-journey version three. And yeah, it was yeah. at the time creating very abstract, abstract art, very notif- noticeable AI you know, images. And for me, that was super cool because it's like, oh, awesome. We can make art with this. That was my first inkling. It wasn't like, oh, can I get commercial ready photographs? I didn't care about that. I cared about, can I just make art with this? Can I use it to express my vision and get something really interesting to, to showcase? Maybe with words that I want to show off like, hey, I had this dream. Here's a visual of what I thought about. Or, hey, I went to the scene. I didn't have my camera with me, but this is kind of what I imagined it to look like. So I thought of it in that way, like, let me use these as reference builders. Let me come up with ideas so then I can go photograph them. 
those are things that you know outweighed beyond and by far everything that I think you know people are against it for um, and even though it's understandable why they would be but that was what I uh, was my first impression I was excited I was thrilled I couldn't believe it but I also couldn't believe how fast it evolved like yeah. you know year down the line now when you look back and compare in mid journey you can actually go to your settings and enable version 3 now um, the difference is literally from abstract randomness to almost photorealism. So, yeah. and we're about to get another version of Midjourney very soon. Wow! From a from a retoucher, professional retoucher perspective, um, as if you could give another perspective, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. From but looking at it as a professional retoucher, how far away are we from? that like from being able to create let's call it a headshot or a portrait that is indistinguishable by a lay person from reality because i feel like we're there now are we are we there are we close yeah you know you hit the you kind of hit it on the head where we are actually there now but mm -hmm. um most people don't know where to get it from so yeah. right now i don't know if i should even say this but stable diffusion is another model kind of like um uh Another, let's say another AI platform where you generate images and it's open source in a lot of ways where you can decide um, what, how, how do I put this? So each of these AI platforms are trained on a language model, which you've probably heard. It's a data set. And the same thing with Midjourney or any text image generator, there's a data set where it looks at it and then figures out what results to get based on the data set. Now, um, stable diffusion is another thing like Midjourney, where it's open source and it learns on a specific data set, whatever you tell it to learn on. There's different um, data sets out there, and we call them models, large language models. Mm -hmm. And there's a some there's a few large language models out there that are trained on like film photographs and realistic photographs and things like that, where whatever you type in there and what you get from it is actually very photorealistic. And I only discovered that because I was browsing Instagram. And I landed on one of my friend's recent photo. He hadn't posted it in a while. I looked at it and I was like, oh, he's back to shooting again. And I, and I kid you not, the thought that I had in my head was, this is his best work yet. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I looked at the description. I was like, something's not right here. I looked at the description and sure enough, he put it at the bottom and he said, um, you know, this is generated from stable diffusion and so i had uh, messaged him and asked him i said how did you you know could you tell me more about that because i, I haven't been able to get as close to realism as you and um, he in fact told me it was a specific language model where he was able to get very realistic results and i was like wow we are we are here and even i'm getting fooled and that worries me because my whole job is to zoom in on photographs all day and see you know what needs to be fixed and if nikon had came back to me and said hey before we release this campaign can you look at this i would have immediately told him probably even for free I'm like hey that looks like it needs to be fixed so you yeah. know it's kind of worries me what is what's going to happen to photography and competitions right like you've probably seen that where competitions are now um are getting watered down by ai images Yes, 100%. Yeah, AI is making its way into competitions. In fact, what was it last year? One, uh, an AI image won a photo competition. <laughs> you know? And they toiled back and forth of whether you know, they should have let it win or not. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many different tangents here. Like one of them is with 
with any of the AIs that we have access to, like whether, whether it's a, a large language model like ChatGPT or more of a text-to-image model or, or, or AI like Midjourney or Adobe with Firefly, et cetera, are, from a prof, you know, professional photographer, should there be a mechanism in place or is, is this even possible? Like, is this Pandora? Is there a, a mechanism in place where as AI generated imagery gets closer and more and more indistinguishable from reality, is should we and can we market as such? You know, even on the tech side with the story example I gave, I wrote a book and I say, hey, write this book based on this idea, but generated in the in the in the style of Stephen King. And it writes the book mm. and it's done. And I go illustrate the book with horrific images from <laughs> from from mid journey or whatever. And then I'm done. Should I should I should there be a responsibility to tag it as such that this was not entirely created oh, by humans? That. Or does it matter, right? Um, if yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think for now it matters for sure, because like, obviously people are going to be there's going to be a lot of backlash. Like Marvel just released a what was it a new series where the opening was completely AI generated. I heard there's about been that. a lot of backlash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't read the full story, but I think there was a, a purpose for it, where it's like they intentionally try to make it. Um, and there was another Secret invasion. See, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, check yeah. it out. Uh, Secret Invasion. Uh, it's on the it's on the news everywhere. But I think so. Like you know, I think for now people should definitely say something's AI generated or augmented. Um, in the future, it won't matter because everything probably will have something touched. You know. Oh, another good example. Let's say that you're using Photoshop right now, right? Um, do you in the comments say specifically that you you use the clone healing brush or the spot healing brush or whatever nope. you use nope. and we don't because and spot healing brush for example is ai driven and um in a lot of ways even the healing brush is an algorithm so technically you didn't actually do that it's the photoshop that physically decided the result of whatever you were guiding it to your hands were just the prompt and the end result was Photoshop that decided this is the best looking result. But we don't ask go in the comment in the description of an image and say, you know, 50% of the retouching was AI driven because I used the content of our fill or the content of our healing brush. Yeah. And so similarly in the future, people are just gonna be like, this was my vision, whether it was handcrafted or not. Then if I think if we decide to showcase that, you know, I actually just photographed this and I this was the work that went into it it becomes more storytelling and probably even more valuable. So it's yeah. going to become something that we want to say, that we want to say, this was something that I made, even though AI played this part in it, this was mine. We are going to have pride and ownership in it. And that's why I think hopefully, you know, uh, creativity is going to be labeled as in the future. I hope so. I hope so. Because what I, the feeling I get from a lot of people, especially in the, well, not especially, but including the TWIP community is there's a there's almost a and i think this i think this obviously ai has been in photoshop you know for a while in different manifestations but the most obvious was with sky replacement and you know that yeah. the controversy around sky replacement and i remember a lot of photographers just kind of you know for a while people felt the need to 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 call it out right and say hey here's a great shot i did of of you know, up in Yosemite, by the way, that sky is real, 
right <laughs> so and, and and i called it i was like it's almost like you know somebody that had some sort of plastic surgery augmentation coming up to you and saying hey by the way these are real right so like, <laughs> like, like is it you know obviously it's not a one-to-one -one comparison but you know but oh you know gosh, i wonder about that are we still there i mean in the the apologetic yeah. kind of world where hey by the way this this is a great image i created but you know i cheated and oh, i used yeah. ai you know that's that's what it feels yeah. like the sentiment is yeah i think so i think right now because the value is still placed on effort that humans go through to get a you know a final image or the story behind it is part of this photograph like i said the photograph is often a receipt of the experience so knowing that the experience was authentic and it happened plays a huge role in the value of what that you know final yeah image, it happened uh, yes yep. yeah. yeah happened exactly yeah that's nice i like that yeah this this really happened right <laughs> that's awesome there's gonna be a tagline for that. Actual, actually happened. Um, you know, I want to wrap with that's with the, just uh, hashtag. It actually happened for the. It episode. actually happened. Yeah, yeah. We need to figure that out. Um, you know, you you mentioned stable diffusion. You talked a little bit about Dolly. You even talk a lot about uh, Mid Journey. What if? Making the assumption that people who are listening to this want to do photorealistic work. You know, and not illustrative photo photorealistic actually photo you know create things that are indistinguishable from photos where should they start their learning journey because most people start with mid-journey right and maybe hit the wall yeah. and like i can't get this look like a photograph i don't know what to do should they be just jumping over to stable diffusion and going there or you know adobe you know with firefly or should they be using i don't know there's what's the other one that i was looking leonardo.ai i think that may be using dali on the back end or something i don't know what where, where should they start and where do you play like where what's what's in your bookmark list of your top three ai engines yeah i think people should definitely start with mid-journey first still just because um it's easy to get into um they're going to yeah. be coming out with a actual proper user interface, because right now they actually use Discord as their interface to use it, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit strange, but I have a video on YouTube as well if anyone wants to get into how to use uh, Midjourney in a couple of minutes. It's not that bad once you figure it, once you see that video. But um, start with Midjourney because even as we speak and probably even before the episode airs, the next version of Midjourney might happen and it's going to become photorealistic. And that is where the most, uh, the biggest, I would say, community is currently for that. Um, and then from there, if you decide that you've maximized the potential and, and you've seen how photorealistic it can get, but it's not quite there yet, then head over to, you know, Stable Diffusion and learn that. Um, that is definitely more technical and more a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. So it does require a lot more research and getting set up. And also the physical requirement of having a system that can also run it. Because with Midjourney, it's all done whether or not you have a good system or not. It's done through their servers or whatever magic they do in the back end. But a lot of stable diffusion models and everything uh, do require a good system in order for you to actually run it. So that's why mm -hmm. I, I say that. Um, and also, besides imagery, um, take a look at GPT for sure, like Maximize using that. Even right now, only 20% of adults in the country at most even are using GPT on a basis that they would really? rely on it and which is wow. crazy yeah it's it's wild and we are underutilizing even now the potential of what it can do is so incredible like you mentioned earlier about how 
you know, entering just the end of a story and seeing it creatively just flesh out the rest of the story, you know, shows you that there's so much that it can still do and we're not pushing the boundary far enough of what's possible with it. So push the boundaries first with a couple of tools and then branch out from there rather than just trying to jump in and find the best option if you don't even know how to use the, the ones that will give you the best results initially. Yeah, I think that the key takeaway from that is to jump in. Don't be afraid of it. You're, you're, it's here to stay, AI, meaning in, in all the things, whether it's text through ChatGPT or similar algorithms or uh, through uh, MidJourney or any of those, they're not going away. They're just they're on a logarithmic exponential <laughs> improvement curve, right? And they're only getting better and better. And particularly, the interesting thing is we're only in 2023 as we record this. Gosh. And, you know, even 2024 or 25 or 30, yeah. what is all this going to look like? <laughs> like, where are we going to be? And that's that's what I wanted to close on. So just the future facing look at this again, no one knows what's what the future is going to bring, especially in a fast moving technology like this. But if if you were to assemble the 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 sort of tea leaves and mm -hmm. your own desires, you know, including the tea leaves being uh, mid journey and those kinds of technologies, chat GPT, uh, NFT and blockchain mm -hmm. and smart contract technology, the meta and the metaverse, the idea of creating the mini world concept of the metaverse or the ready player one type thing. And then you sprinkle in some generous Apple trillions of dollar market cap with their with their vision pro headset and all that that might bring and open up where what is what are we going to see? Like, I feel like with that headset, with that headset, I, t I really feel like it's a new medium for people to like create and tell stories. So take it away. Where are we going with all oh these? I, I gave I you all the ingredients. The now cook something. <laughs> <laughs> Let him cook. OK, cool. So yeah. <laughs> now I have, to, I have to say, like when I saw the Apple, uh, you know, the keynote for their, by the way, it wasn't the regular Apple keynote. It was their WWDC conference keynote. And the difference yes. specifically is that that headset was generated not for the public, but it was generated for app developers and people who are in tech actually creating shifts and change. So what I'm suspecting is that's going to effectively mean that people are going to have access to VR and AR tools in regular Apple keynotes in the future. There's going to be a smaller version of that because it's not the vision it's not the Apple Vision, it's the Apple Vision Pro. So that means yeah. there's probably gonna be a non-pro consumer version in you know two to three years, maybe. And even if you've never ever experienced augmented or VR, uh, you should try and get yourself uh, in an Oculus Quest or something. Have you ever experienced that? Like, have you ever put on a VR headset and seen what that environment feels like? Oh yeah, yeah, we have, we have two in the house, so. You know, so there. I have my own. You can't borrow mine. So there are two in the house. Uh, I bought my sister one. I bought my father-in-law one. And yeah, back when they were really popular, mainly for Beat Saber, not for you know, not for anything else. But yeah, yeah, I've been in there. I've been in that world. So yeah, I understand. I also understand the the limitations of that that MetaQuest headset. For me, was just yeah. comfort and and being able to stay in that environment for any length of time. Yeah. So. You know, hopefully yeah. Apple is solving that. And what I was what I was alluding to there was that like once you put it on and I've experienced it for the first time, I could not believe that you can 
experience depth without actually being somewhere that yeah. blew my mind i was like wow that truly means that if we are in a simulation now where you know all of our senses is just a simulated response to something and even depth is a simulated response and yeah. even the other day i heard that um you can't feel what water feels like like you can't feel what wet feels like you only feel a difference in texture and temperature so if you're feeling water that's you know lukewarm and at room temperature precisely you only feel the difference in the texture of the surface you don't know what water and that just blew my mind i was like then technically we could be in a simulation so what i'm alluding to going forward is that you know in the future there might be a situation where a lot of us get these headsets and a lot of us um plug more and more into these simulated worlds where we can truly make in combination with more powerful computing whether it's quantum computing in the future whether mm -hmm. it's you know more powerful silicon based computing when you combine all that together with ai and with the speed of it to be able to generate whatever you think without even typing without even saying anything because now you can also um read your dreams and you've seen probably articles where somebody was able to record their dreams and it translate because of ai into kind of what they're seeing not precisely but very very close mm -hmm. and when you piece all of those things together about what we can do now there's almost no limit you'll be able to put on a headset generate a movie starring you know whoever you want leonardo dicaprio and whoever's dating at the time i don't know in a live action <laughs> thriller that has a a beautiful ending that's set in Paris and then it will just generate the movie for you right there the actors will be able to like license their likeness so every time somebody says please make a movie with Keanu Reeves Keanu Reeves gets a few bucks and then suddenly you know um you have whatever you want generated you'll be able to interact with whoever you want in real time you'll be able to see people your loved ones that have passed away you'll be able to have your own self digitized in the world so you can educate people forever without actually you being there like fred you can have a podcast that goes on forever because you will be able, able to interview elon musk without even having to interview elon musk and mm -hmm. you know all kinds of stuff so like the, what isn't going to be possible is my question like what won't i be able to do and what does that even look like anymore you know that's yeah. kind of where i am at it is so interesting. You remember, you remember that MTV show called uh, what was it? Catfish. You remember Catfish? Uh -huh. Did you ever see that? Yeah. And the whole for the folks that haven't haven't seen or heard of that show, it was a show based on the premise of people falling in love with each other that hadn't actually met in the physical world. So, and some of them were pulling scams, and some of them were not who they said they were, or different gender, or whatever. Right? So that was the whole interest of the show. At the end, they met. You know, if possible, at the end of the episode, they would always meet and either fall more in love or run away, screaming. Right? So I, I was <laughs> I thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like. I, first of all, when I saw that, that series, I was just completely surprised at the fact that somebody could, and maybe it's my own naivete, but like somebody could fall in love with someone else without ever having met that person or had any sort of physical interaction with that person. But clearly it's happening a lot, right? And so then like fast forward to now where we are. So what's to stop someone from starting a relationship <laughs> online, A, and on the other end, it's not really a person and they don't know. Kind of like like her, remember her with, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Like that, yeah. but 
he knew that was an AI. What if he didn't know that was an AI and he fell in love with this 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 algorithm that is coming up with excuses, really good excuses, why they can't meet in person this time, but, and they never meet. Yes. Like, yeah, I, I feel like that might happen if it's not already happening. I don't know. It's or if it's, it's at the very least, it's a movie plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it is. There was a um, a woman who kind of like OnlyFans. She set up a like a digital character of herself where um, I think it was a digital avatar or it was just her voice where you can talk to her and she would respond, but it's not her responding. It's an AI version of her responding. And she made so much money doing that for the first month where I think there's going to be a whole load of people like that. I've even yeah. seen, you know, studies where loneliness itself is shot up so dramatically because we're starting to isolate more and more because even, you know, better apps like TikTok that break our dopamine levels down and prevent us from even wanting to do anything else besides the easiest thing. Uh, loneliness is a driving factor. And because of this mental health and self-care aspect, these tools are going to come in and augment our desire for it. For So movies like her are super realistic now already, where yeah. you're going to, you know, even a physical companion, where if you in the future want like a robot or something that is there for companionship or just somebody to talk to or just you can program it to like agree with you all day long you know it's like yeah. no one believes you be like oh really i didn't know that and <laughs> all kinds of stuff so yeah. it's gonna be a weird world and yeah. i don't know where we're going but it's gonna definitely slot in there it's gonna be interesting i mean there's so many different tangents to explore even like you know, the uh, gender identity type things, right? Where someone wants to project into the into this virtual world. Maybe they work from home, you never have to meet in person, but the now they can accurately portray the person that they feel like they are to the world, right? And that's who interacts oh. everywhere, right? <laughs> so why not? With, with no blades involved, right? <laughs> so. Uh, well, I you know, know. I, it makes you wonder if you had to project yourself into this digital VR world, would you keep yourself the same or what would you change before you give that projection? That's the last thing I kind of want to let people know oh, yeah. about. Yeah, I, I would probably change to a younger version of myself. I think something <laughs> like that. Or, or like, you know, some some famous star like Denzel Washington or somebody, you know, with with some changes in there. You know, they're going to be interesting that pop up that will, hey, we'll do your high resolution body scan and then you'll take that and change it to whatever you want. And then, there yeah. you go. That's yeah. Solstice retouch will be the people that that change it and make it into the real you. Right. So, yeah. Crazy. man. So uh, if people want to follow you, critique and kind of continue the conversation, either on the retouching side or on to, to keep up with the stuff that you're doing in artificial intelligence and your explorations there, what's a what's a good place for them to point their browsers to? Yeah, go to solsticeretouch.com, and that's basically my website. And if you use that Solstice Retouch, you also get to my Instagram and Facebook. Um, we also have a Facebook group called The Futurists. So there is something that uh, people can converse if they want some community behind it. The Futurists. I had to write that down real quick. Awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm saying this out loud, so now it has to happen. But I'm putting together a panel discussion. I think I mentioned this to you before. But I'm putting, putting together a panel discussion around this stuff, you know, with, with different opinions. I hope to populate the panel with 
people that are pro and con and lukewarm on the whole technology and just have you know an, an open conversation with smart people that uh that yeah. have thoughts you know and opinions and kind of see where that goes i'd love to have you be involved in that if you're you're up for it so not that i'm putting you on the oh, spot totally yeah appreciate that 100 <laughs> okay cool <laughs> All right, my friend, we'll leave it right there. Thank you, Pratik, for, for doing this. This has been uh, educational. I feel like I want to dive in and try some stuff on Midjourney. I'm going to head over to your Instagram, which is Solst yes. you're, you're, you're on Instagram and Twitter as Solstice Retouch, right? Right, yes. Okay, okay. So people can head over there. Go over there, steal this man's prompts, and put them in <laughs> and start experimenting with, with different images and uh, okay. see what comes up. Cool, man. All right. Thank you Love so that. much. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah, absolutely. And I will, I will chat with you soon. Have a good rest of your day. This is Twitter.